Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, gentlemen, we are back. We're back, baby! Ryan's hiatus, my sabbatical, <laughs> as you guys referred to it last week. Uh, we, we all need an off-season, except for you, Michael. There is no off-season for you. The Bill Belichick mantra, no days off. No days off. Does apply to you, the youngster. Just do your job. Just do your job. (laughs) But but we're all getting back into the swing of things well before Ben Simmons, right? (laughs) (laughs) You think Belichick can speak some sense into Simmons? (laughs) Belichick's trying to figure out how to stop Tom Brady next week. He's got his hands full. Does have his hands full? Yeah, in my time away, I realized I think I think we're the we're the Nets' big three. I think um, D Love and I have spent more time away than, than Michael, so that makes him Durant. And I think I think you're hardened, D Love. You went as hard as you could, as long as you could, and then you had to take some time to take a little take a little time, take a break. And I'm I'm Kyrie. You don't know if I'm showing up one week to the next. What am I doing? What's going on? Have I done my? Uh, I got my vaccination or not? No one knows what's going on. It's it's just total wild card. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was listening to uh, Kent Bazemore. The NBA Channel was uh, featuring the Lakers training camp, and Bazemore was talking about how all the Lakers they they know their body very well, uh, so they know how to listen to their body. They know when to push their body, when to rest their body. Like, well, they they're all old guys, Bazemore. They've been in the league a long time. Yes, they they've learned how to listen to their bodies. <laughs> And they need extra special care. <laughs> so, yes, you and I are in that uh, demographic, right? You can't. Yes. <laughs> the old, it's like the old guy at the gym extolling the value of stretching to the twenty-two-year-old. <laughs> You'll understand uh, in about a decade, Michael. I also realized when I was away that my job, you guys, is to push and challenge you every night to be the best <laughs> podcasters you can. Number one job. You guys are both amazing podcasters. You're one of a kind podcasters. And my job is to push you every night, challenge you, never let you settle for not being the best. And I'm going to be here every podcast reminding you who you're supposed to be. Welcome back, Ryan. Here you go. (laughs) Welcome back. See, I don't know. I like the the Greg Popovich uh, approach where you have to understand each personality. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge was sensitive. So you have to be delicate, you know, you don't want to hurt his feelings too much, you know, I'm, I'm very sensitive, so keep that in mind. But, <laughs> guys, we got three weeks to go before the season starts, and I think anybody, everybody who has an NBA podcast right now, they're all asking these, like, what are what is the burning questions uh, for the season? You know, give me 10, yes. uh-huh. 5, 10, 15, 20 burning questions. So we are going to come at things from a little bit of a different angle here. Uh, We are going to ask the non-burning but interesting, uniquely interesting questions. Uh, So we're going to kind of come at uh, kind of a backdoor angle here. So we're going to hit on some of the topics, but we're going to ask the questions that no one else is asking 
on a podcast. Now, it's important for me to set this up that uh, for the audience that you guys do not know uh, what these questions are, except for Wait, the one example what? that what? I gave you. I gave you one one of the questions. Okay, Kyrie, we covered it in Shoot Around. I know you weren't there, but we, we D and the I got on the same page. So, because <laughs> we want we want the spontaneous reactions here. Sounds good. Kyrie's ready. My so ma- the questions are going to be, well, the questions are going to be, uh, there's going to be three answers, you know, it, and it, it's subjective, extra points if you get the same answer that I was thinking of, but you don't have to think, uh, you know, what, what I was thinking when I asked the it's question. It's like a whole but. episode of trivia. That's the best part. This is great. <laughs> exactly. We'll figure out the point system for subjective it later. Subjective trivia. We'll tie, right? That's yes. That... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So we got ten of these. When we choose the, the same answer every time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got ten of these. We'll see where it goes. Take it where you will. Have fun with it. <laughs> Trying to keep the the folks at home entertained. We're gonna start with this. This is the one you guys know. So you've been preparing for this one for a uh, uh, few days. Okay, who is more likely to persuade Ben Simmons to report to the seventy-seven? Excuse me, seventy-sixers camp. Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey, or Joel Embiid? <laughs> Is there D? None of the none above. Of the above. <laughs> Sorry, D. That's a that's a great question, but no, we are not accepting D. None of the above. Oh, certainly. I mean, Simmons reporting to camp. I just, I mean, what we talked about this last week, but it's just the whole situation is so fraught. I mean, the news this week I loved was that. The team was trying to rally around Simmons. Some of the veterans were gonna were gonna charter a plane to LA to talk to Simmons, try to get him to come out. And Simmons I, was like, uh, "Yeah, I'm good with that. Um, please don't come." So it's cl- it's clearly not Joel Embiid because no, he already they, got rebuffed. They met. Doc forgot what you do is you entra- you, you it's a secret attack. You fly people in. You only communicate the emojis on Twitter. You lock him right. in his house and you make him sign the. It's like, Duck, remember DeAndre. what you did with DeAndre. Come on, you got to figure this out. No, but guys, I'll say what what Doc did. The the he did the cardinal sin. Uh, I think it was Del Harris that said this. He said, "I want the organization who I work for. They support me a hundred percent until the day that they fire me, or if you're a player, until the day." that they cut you. So when Rivers was yes, asked yes. last year, can you win a championship with Ben Simmons? Was he being honest and uh, was he vulnerable in the moment because he was pissed or trying to deflect blame no. because he lost another 3-1 series <laughs> lead? But he, when he was asked the yes. question, yes. he said, he said, I cannot answer that question right now. And he's been confronted with that. And he's been saying it's been misconstrued. But that that's not the point. The point is, is that you you back your guy because it's the it's the right thing to do until you decide that no we until you answer that question internally you do not say that in public so no, the cardinal the, no, sin big part of this mess and you keep backing him like Dell's point you keep backing him till you actually trade him so you might decide internally yeah that guy's the problem you don't go tell everybody we talked about this last time you're exactly right you and Dell like why would you like oh. You know, Doc Rivers doing his little marketing campaign. It's like he's the head of marketing for the Sixers. He's not the head of coaching. He's head of marketing. It's just like he's out there trying to sell. Oh, I'm going to turn my whole plan now is to turn Ben Simmons into Giannis. He's going to be our Giannis now going forward. It's like I love Ben Simmons. You guys hear me in the podcast. I love Ben Simmons. I think he's a great player. Yes. But but 
He's no Giannis, guys. He's no Giannis talk. That's never, that's never happening. So. Well, I will say, I think, I mean, the reason the answer to this question is Daryl Morey is you're not giving Doc Rivers enough credit. While he may, I mean, you guys are treating this like a debacle in terms of his press conference. I think he was playing chess, not checkers, and he was trying to force Daryl Morey's hand to ultimately trade Simmons because Doc was fed up and ready to move on with his life. So I think the only neutral party at this point is Daryl Morey, and he's the guy who's got to talk some sense into Simmons and into clutch sports in terms of getting in, getting Simmons back in the mix. Now, you know, I, I, I'm curious. I mean, on a serious note, I'm curious to see if that is what happens. I think this is one of the interesting things about this dynamic is the precedent it sets for a player holding out. This is a common thing, I think, that has been normalized in the NFL but in in a, in a league with guaranteed contracts, and especially a contract like this with a substantial term remaining, I mean he has four years left on his deal. I mean him showing up to camp or not showing up to camp is a is a pretty huge shift in the in kind of the normal tendencies of, of how contracts are handled in the league. So um, it feels like only Maury can can mend this bridge at this point. Yeah, it depends if he can get the. I mean maybe the other answer is the owners, right? Is that if the owners don't pay him. I think it's this week. His like he has a salary schedule where like a quarter of his, you know, maybe like it's probably eight, nine million bucks, like is due this week. He gets a quarter of his salary for the year, like up front. And if they say, "Oh, whoops, sorry, check I lost in the mail," not sure what happened until you show back up. Whatever the rules are, what they can actually do. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's the whole thing with the whole with the with the uh, vaccination, right? I mean, the NBA announced today that you know if. And I think this it's a little it's there's obviously devils in the details, but I think it only applies to the players who are in these cities like New York and um, San Francisco, where you're required to actually get the vaccine to as just a kind of a worker, you know, just kind of general city rules and ordinances. And if you don't do that and you don't play, you don't get paid. I think they announced that. I don't know if there's something even broader from that. So th- that's the th- question. I mean, like Kyrie Irving may still say whatever. I have all the money I need. I don't care. But anybody else can get vaccinated. Like that's not <laughs> money talks, you know. So I, I don't think Ben Simmons wants to say no, goodbye to nine million bucks. And and you will see to your point with the NFL, Michael. You will what you will see is in the next iteration. I mean, the CBA will be up. I think that there's the opt out this coming year for each side, which probably at least one of them will take that is you'll see the move to the hold in, which is the new NFL thing, because what they got in the last agreement with the players, in the NFL is that you can't forgive the, um, you can't forgive like the fines. And so basically um, it got rid of the holdout because if you hold out, like what they used to do, they'd hold out like the whole preseason and then have all these fines and then the team could decide, Oh wait, we won't, we won't make you pay them. So there's no financial incentive to come in, and it kind of NFL is like no. So now what they do, like these couple Seahawks guys did it, they held in. Like Dwayne Brown held in. He went to like all the meetings. He like worked out. <laughs> he did all the stuff. He didn't practice though. And it's like, I mean, he's 36 years old. The reason he's not getting any more, he got a little bit more money up front, but he's not getting any extended years right now because he's 36 years old. That Seahawks are probably like, yes, perfect. Dwayne's not practicing exactly how he wanted it to happen. <laughs> but it's but it's like you're gonna see hold ends. Like Ben Simmons have to come awkwardly be around the team <laughs> like i don't know how will that work out in the nba but i think ben simmons will be the first hold in i think nice so uh, well well handled with that with the first question there guys uh as you mentioned the uh the vaccines we're gonna we're gonna stay on a very delicate uh potentially uh, sensitive topic here hopefully it doesn't divide the audience too much 
but a uh, person most likely to attempt to persuade Andrew Wiggins to get vaccinated. Stephen Curry, Draymond, or Steve Kerr? <laughs> I'll start with not Steve Tread lightly. I'll start with not Steve Kerr. Um, he, he got interviewed today. I saw about Clay Thompson's return. Like he's practicing, quote unquote. I think he means he's like shoot, doing sort of softer drills in practice. He's looking at like a November, December return. But he started describing him of like, he's, it was like, basically the gist was Clay's really excited to be back playing basketball. And it's like, but he said it in a Steve Kerr way of like, you know, most of you don't see the real Clay that we see. You just see the happy-go-lucky Clay, and he's really gone through a lot. The, last, the thing he loves most has been taken away from him, and you're seeing that maturity in him and that passion. And you're just like, Clay just likes to play basketball, man. This is not that complicated. So <laughs> I can just picture Steve Kerr trying to give it to Wiggins about he's talking about like Middle East relations and all his other issues and stuff. And it's just like you know, again, Andrew, you're not going to get paid if you don't. Get vaccinated. So <laughs> you're not going to pay for the games you miss. You get vaccinated. I think uh, Draymond's the right guy for that message. I see. I would have said, uh, sorry, my, uh, technically, as I asked the questions, I should let you answer first, Michael. But I was just going to say that I would have originally thought it would be Curry because this whole thing with the, the religious exemption that maybe Curry, they could sit down discuss this on uh, in from the angle of religion and, and maybe maybe perhaps curry could try to uh use some some sound theology uh to try to persuade him uh, toward his view of getting vaccinated uh but then i realized no it's dr- curry did come out and said something of not you know respecting this and that but draymond mr um fearless uh says what's on his mind uh, and uh, wants the Warriors to be, as they all do, as effective as they can be. But I think Draymond will be the one to be the more confrontational. So I'm going to say Draymond. Okay. Well, I'm going to, it's definitely not Kerr. I mean, Kerr, was like maybe, <laughs> Kerr maybe had a meeting with Wiggins to talk to him about the dynamics and just like, got lost in Twitter or something like that, so it canceled the meeting. Um, it does feel like Curry is – is an option. I think he's the best player on the team. I, I would imagine in a lot of different locker rooms, the upper echelon players, whether it's Draymond or Curry or, you know, whoever it is in these different locker rooms. I mean, at some point, those guys are just going to go shut up and get it done because we're trying to play some ball here. Um, and, and that feels like what's coming on a number of these fronts. Like, I think, you know, a number of these bigger players, Jonathan Isaac or Wiggins or Kyrie, are sort of exploring what the implications of their choices look like. And then I think the, you know, assuming the league and these municipalities hold the line, I mean, they're just not going to have a lot of choices. And when the money starts tolling and their teams, you know, are starting to be affected, I just can't imagine these guys aren't ultimately going to acquiesce. Now, Kyrie is a good example. Ryan, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, he might just say whatever. I'm, you know, he's a he's a unique enough dude that he's an artist. He may, an artist. He, he may just move on uh, or take a break or something, which would be astronomical to the competitive landscape of the league. But um, I, I just I think that Curry is probably the guy here with a guy like Wiggins, and frankly, it's more so than anything is the, is the money. I mean, Wiggins is on a he got a max contract extension off his rookie deal. And and there's no way he's sniffing anything related to that money next on his next deal. So he better take it all as he, as long as he can get it. 
Yeah, the Warriors ownership's like, wait, we don't have to pay him? And does that still count to the luxury tax? Because this is a win-win for everybody. <laughs> I, you know, all I know, though, whoever of the three goes in the room with Wiggins and tries to talk to him about his choice here, they better hope he has, he has, he has, he's not as good an argue an argument as Jonathan Isaac. I don't know if anyone saw his interview. His response to it was incredibly powerful. Um, his his part of his argument is that he got COVID, so he has COVID antibodies, and he shouldn't, you know, if, if that was like his main primary argument. I thought that was really fascinating because there is like that is something that's out there is like how much when you have COVID you have the antibodies from it. Like, how much less effective is that relative to a vaccine? Um, does it give you that sort of protection? So it, it, that that complicates things, I think, in terms of, like, if like if Wiggins, I, I don't know his history or if he would even share it, but if he's had COVID, it's just kind of, a, that's, that's a more, like, complicated argument that actually, like, pushes on the science a little bit. It's not just, like, um, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm anti or I'm skeptical of this. And obviously, like, without, it goes without saying that all, like, this is a very complicated matter for everyone. Um, and I think the NBA really is fortunate that these cities have required this, um, whatever your politics are about that. And obviously like, you know, requiring to get a point where these things are being required of people, you know, has its, you know, there's issues with that. Um, but I, I think that was really, I don't know. You should, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Cause it's actually a really good, like, you know, sort of, it's like a very reasonable argument, um, kind of against the vaccine for someone who's had COVID before, which I think like as, I don't know if the public health community or just in general, we really sort of grappled with that really. It's just kind of like, oh, check the box. You got to do this. So it was just, it was like, it, it was like, wow, this guy can really communicate. And he was the guy also who took a contrary position during, you know, the bubble and, you know, with Black Lives Matters and the the work that was being done then he was an exception there he's a person of faith like he's an interesting guy so i gotta say is i i would want to go in and try and convince jonathan isaac to get vaccinated because <laughs> i think i'd come out and be like sorry guys he's he, he beat, beat me <laughs> well we've now delved head first into the uh, vaccine versus anti-vaccine debate <laughs> uh, <laughs> And with that, to the next question. Stay safe, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, best opening day, media day, press conference moment. Lillard expressing optimism about the Blazers' season. Joel Embiid trying hard to explain why he appreciates Ben Simmons. (laughs) Or Letterman crashing the Nets' press conference. Oh, no. Wow, this is a this 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 multiple choice is this this is a doozy. I mean, I think Letterman it was classic. It was it was tremendous, and obviously, I mean, anytime you have a gag where you walk away not you're not sure if Durant was in on it or if he just played it straight the whole time, um, it was great. I my my choice though is actually Embiid's conversation about like. Philly, the city, the fans, and then Simmons, and sort of how he tried to had to walk some of that back and and sort of dig into it. I mean, just he, what, I just love I love Embiid, and I love the fact that you have this guy who grew up in Africa, who basically like taught himself American popular culture from like YouTube, 
and now is just this like guy like this huge cultural figure in in philadelphia so basically you're saying he's a 12 he's a 12 year old basically what you're saying no but he's like he's actually also really thoughtful and like has, no, no he know, is incredibly he's... smart i'm just saying as having an 11 year old who is definitely likes youtube i think that's a pretty more much no more but he, i mean he, he's, he spoke i mean he came here when he was i think he was 16 i mean he got picked up at one of the like bastards without borders or one of those like programs oh and, yeah yeah and he came and played at like a prep school in like florida and i mean he was talking he, he I read an interview where he's talking about how he learned to shoot by watching some like he goes, Every time I've been in a gym, the best shooters are always the white guys. So I found an old white guy teaching shooting on YouTube and I just watched the video over and over again. I mean, that was his quote. <laughs> I mean, you know, the way he like trolls people and talks trash to guys. Oh, he's I mean, the best. He's the best. It, it's just it, it, it's just for somebody I I I, I was reading a, an article, I think we're discussing Embiid and just talking about how it's so rare that an immigrant would has grasped the cultural aspects of America the way he has in such a short amount of time. I mean, and so to see him be, we see him act the clown oftentimes, which is really funny and enjoyable. And, you know, you see him on in commercials and on the court and making fun of Andre Drummond, whatever it is, but also to see him then be sort of, um, Kind of reflecting on the relationship he has with the city and 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 the team. I mean, it just to me, it's it's you know, media day as a whole this year seemed to be had had a lot of different tones that went opposite of how they normally go. Right, a lot of times it's rah rah. I'm glad we did. I mean, it's more like the Lillard one. Like, hey, rah rah, here we go. You know, we're all gonna go win a title, and it's like 30 teams are gonna go win the NBA championship. And like two weeks later, it's obviously all you know. It's, it's it goes back to normal. Um, but uh, it felt like this year was a bit different, and Embiid was one of those for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, the Letterman thing. I mean, do you guys was Durant in on that? Did, did anyone read about that? It's it's sort of seemed like I'll let you finish your answer, and then I will comment okay, on that. Okay. I'll hold that. Okay, I want to hear the yeah. I want to hear our Letterman whisper. Uh, D Love, give us give us your take on that. Yeah, I mean that was. I mean it was so random out of nowhere. Um, I think he is getting Letterman is getting a little bored. The whole like Netflix interview show is not, uh, you know, the big beard and the interview show is not really scratching him where he itches. I, I'm reading a Letterman um, biography slowly, fitfully, and I'm sort of at the part right where late night gets started, and it's interesting because one of the guys in there, um, one of the writers at that early the show started, he made the argument. His quote was that you know Letterman just wanted to be Carson. Actually, and it was Meryl Marco, who was his then girlfriend and the producer of the show and co-creator of the show with him, who had kind of the like, she was the one actually got him going out and doing stuff like that. Like that was like one of her contributions to the show. And a big part of the book is just showing how like that creative partnership was like so, so powerful. Obviously, with Ledmerman being, you know, the sort of upfront, you know, and taking it that and running with it and doing what he did with it. Um, so it's, it's just fun to see him, see him back out there. Well, I would say, uh, I, I think I may have read that biography too. Uh, definitely recommend any, uh, Letterman reading because we, we found out that the younger generation doesn't know who he is. Uh, so, so please, uh, you know, uh, but while I appreciate, first of all, that Lillard showed up to camp, uh, that that's that he's was hold, the first he's, start. He's holding in, Derek. I don't I don't know. If you heard. <laughs> <laughs> well played, touche. 
Nicely done. How does he have more? How does he have more? Um, how does he have more uh, leverage than Ben Simmons? I mean, they have the same amount of years left in their contract, right? I mean, I know he's been nice to Portland, and it's like the city you, worships him. I know, but do you owe him? I don't, I don't understand though, because you worship, but they owe him something for that. Like, is it what John? Is it what John Ham said on Mad Men? That's what the money's for. <laughs> he's making yeah. he's making a lot of money. I don't know. I just it's just interesting to think about. It's like, oh well, we have to do it. Like Ben Simmons is. Like no, he's a he's a he's a he's a jerk. So we're gonna not let him get out of his contract. But Lillard was so nice, and he like you know, he raps about Portland. I don't know. It's just kind of, I know he's the greatest guy ever. I'm not trying to like undersell how great he is, but it's just kind of like I don't know. It's business, man. It's business. Yeah, no, no. Point taken. But I have to say, I loved everything about the Letterman thing. I loved every question, all the nuances to it. I love Durant's reaction. I love that very few people were laughing and that people <laughs> on, on Twitter were like, who is Letterman and what was this guy doing? People didn't know who it was. I think, I think literally to reporters me, in the room might have been confused that it was Letterman. I mean, I mean the guy, half the guys that write at The Athletic are probably in their 20s and don't totally <laughs> understand what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he Can was I just, borrow your notebook? <laughs> <laughs> So I thought it was just it was it was vintage Letterman. I have heard that I think Durant might be a guest actually on the the net, the Netflix uh, show coming up this season. So I I think he was in on the bit yeah, to answer so your, yeah. your question, yeah. Ryan. And he did he Letterman did break him at the end when he asked him about uh, playing the Pelicans. Does it make you want to giggle? He did. He cracked right there. So I think that was probably the sign that he was in on it. It was so but the, perfect, uh, though. I mean, that exchange, the end of that exchange. Where Durant just says, "That's enough, Dave," and he says, "Okay, okay, I'll wrap it up." And then he just asks him about giggling about the Pelicans. <laughs> Absolutely killed me. It was great, and anyway, I think it was a little bit of a tri- tribute to Norm because it was very Norm McDonald esque yes. to yes. do something that you know is funny, and you know there's people out there that will think it's hilarious, even if eighty percent of people don't. Which I actually think most people, I mean, by and large, people thought it was funny, but there was an old. Uh, a guest of ours who uh, I guess I can say I'm confident he, he's not listening to the podcast right now, who uh, had a tweet where he's like, you know, if uh, if a reporter out there had a real question that he wasn't able to ask, that's a problem. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but we got to stop everything right there because these are not the most riveting questions, uh, as we know. And we know Durant hates 90 percent of the questions that are coming in and it's just going to be cantankerous to most of them. So. We all need a little more Letterman in our places of work, I think. So, uh, but I have to use this opportunity to tell a very quick Letterman story. The closest, the the closest one to me, which is my wife's cousin's husband lives in New York. I think I yeah, I think I told you this one, Ryan, years ago. But uh, after Letterman retired, uh, and he started growing out the the Santa Claus beard. And so uh, the cousin's husband's name is Zach, and he was riding the subway, and it was crowded, and he looked right to his left, and Letterman was there with the beard and a hat. Yes. And uh, so he decided to, to muster up the courage to turn to him, and he said, he said, do you think uh, people won't recognize you with that beard? And the uh, <laughs> important part of the punchline here is that Zach himself had, had, had a beard at the time. Okay. And Letterman, without missing a beat, said... Hey, it works for you. I don't know who you are. <laughs> Without missing a beat. That the best. The greatest. Perfect letter, man. 
<laughs> well, speaking of, I love the point about Norm because that is that does it feels like a Norm joke, and obviously, you know, uh, losing Norm McDonald is definitely a hard thing for uh, the Three and D Love podcast. Uh, I was curious, D Love, what your thoughts were about just talking about Letterman and Norm McDonald's relationship because I was going back and looking at stuff, and obviously. Um, you know, his last, he was, he was the last comic on the CBS show and, you know, just the idea of how he viewed Letterman, their relationship. I was curious to hear your thoughts about that. Cause it came up recently. Cause I was listening to another podcast and it was saying, Oh, you know, Letterman, you know, he's got a lot of issues basically, you know, <laughs> which he does, but then he's still yeah. like, he and Norm had a special relationship. So I was curious what your thoughts were about that. Yeah. I think they were just kindred comedic spirits really like i mean letterman i think that that generation of comedians most of them kind of norm's age or a little older were all about carson and i think uh norm was maybe part of that new breed that that really like letterman was was the guy and then the younger guys like jimmy kimmel i mean they all worshiped letterman because they they didn't know carson but um and it's kind of funny because norm was always the guy who appreciated the older people but like I think he just recognized uh, in Letterman that he was this uh, sort of a, uh, original comic. I think I think Norm, who was who studied comedy a lot, and he would say like, oh, he would talk about Sam Kinison was the last original comic, and but I think he 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 put uh, uh, Letterman in that very elite category of of original comics, and so he just was always the biggest fan, and then. And I think probably modeled a lot of his comedy after the style. And so I think, you know, Letterman then uh, just uh, also gravitated toward Norm. And I think that's a, it's a thing with like Conan, Letterman, even Leno, like they just they all love Norm. Like if you watch those interviews, it was just they never laughed harder. Uh, it was like probably Letterman and Chris Farley. I've never seen make those guys all laugh hmm. harder. So those are the two that stand out. So I think when you when you have that that thing where the over history and the guy gets you laughing from the gut, right? You just connect with him and and you're drawn to him. So so definitely, a, yeah, kindred spirits on that. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. And I, I did see like I was just kind of digging in. I know you've you're you know you've been on Norm from like early early days, like just right after he left SNL, like. Just for the record, D Love twenty plus years ago called Norm greatest comic. <laughs> like when he was still known as the guy who got fired from SNL. University of Oregon. And like no one, like D Love was the only person saying that. I mean, I we all loved him from like SNL, but uh, but I was yeah. To your point, I mean, Norm Macdonald was such a great student of comedy, and like, I mean, he's a very like um, intellectual guy like he definitely had a lot mm -hmm. of humility yeah. about himself and downplayed his because he didn't have an education really but his brother is like a big newscaster in canada and like i don't know if you see the clip of his 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 sister-in-law who like hosted kind of like a meet the press type of show in canada and she had him on yeah. at one point it's a great thing there's, there's a million things with anything with norm in it is great but she interviews him about like trying to make it's really a great interview actually he talks about trying to make fun of trump um, he makes the point, which I've, so I've kind of dug in with his stuff the last week or two, but how you can never, um, you can't parody someone you don't like. 
Like you can't do. I've a, heard them You can't it, yeah. do a good parody of someone you don't like, which is actually really fascinating. And if you think about the parodies that you don't like, you know, I think Baldwin's Trump being like the best example. It's like if you really detest someone, it's really hard to like. Yeah. Like, um, to do that, but it was just a really. And Andy said he, he loved her. It was just so, it was like total, yeah. <laughs> total norm. Uh, yeah. But to your point about him being a, a student of comedy, like someone put up something you can find on YouTube as well, where he shows him. Um, I think him getting interviewed and then talking about um, sort of other comedians and their interview styles on different shows and how and it kind of like would show these other comedians and their interviews on talk shows and then his and you're like oh like it didn't come from like nowhere like he was go he was like intentionally trying to do something when he went out and did that it wasn't just like I don't know. It's just like he was such a like a thoughtful guy, and he was so intentional mm -hmm. in what he did. So obviously, I think for our generation, D, he's like always been up there, but especially for you. So yeah, yep. comedic genius. Look, no, look him up, right. youngsters. Look him up. Yes. Uh, and I love that. I love that detour. Always happy to go on the detour. Uh, but what wait, was the other wait, thing? Oh, basketball. Who, who's Norm? <laughs> 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 Okay, speaking of older men, let's this is this is a, this is for the older demographic of folks. Okay, which of the old Lakers uh, players is going to have the best season? Trevor Ariza, Carmelo Anthony or Dwight Howard? Oh man. Oh, Dwight Howard. I'm going to, I'm going all in. I have no jokes on this one. I just <laughs> Dwight Howard is the guy's got something to offer. I mean, I just I think the other two are washed. Uh, so, Dwight Dwight's my guy. I'm all in. What a weird – can we just talk about Dwight Howard's career trajectory? I mean, <laughs> he's like a multi-time defensive player of the year and leads the team to the finals basically and then – Could have won it. I mean, they weren't that far off of winning it. it well, and and then he joins the Lakers, and I didn't I didn't heard this until a few months ago. I was reading an article talking about his career, and much of his physical fall off he attributes to – basically had back surgery in the off season when he, before he joined the Lakers and he was so intimidated by Kobe Bryant that he rushed back from surgery too fast and then basically oh. continued getting hurt and then lost all of his lift as a result of like these, this like series of injuries and it just like cracked me up that oh, like, man. you hear stories about him on the, like on the Olympic team and not knowing really liking him. And then you hear this context of him, you know, being in the Lakers and Kobe being so intimidating to him that he clearly made, you know, not a great choice and changing his mind about his like extension with the magic when he thought he was going to opt out and he signed his extension. I mean, he's just such a fascinating guy. I mean, he basically was like a pariah in the league over a matter of three or four years. And then all of a sudden he like wins a title with the Lakers, you know, goes to Philly last year and now is back with the Lakers. I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating, you know, trajectory for a player who, again, who was sort of in the upper echelon for, for a lot of years, right? And, until, um, you know, and now is having a bit of a renaissance later in his career. So, you know, Dwight, here we go. I'll go with Mello. Just stand in the corner, hit threes. I mean, it's, I mean, basically do what you did with the Blazers, but with better players. I think that seems like a good, good deal. I have no idea who he's going to guard. I mean, he, he. Uh, they, the Lakers didn't get Enos Cantor, so I mean that really <laughs> make it a little easier for Carmelo to play. But uh, you know they need shooting, especially when Westbrook plays. So I'll go with uh, Melo. Who you got, D? Well, I, I said Carmelo too. 
Uh, I can't say Ariza because you, you know I've held, I've held it against him because when he chose his kid over the uh, Blazers in the bubble, I haven't quite forgiven him for that. <laughs> but I think Car- Carmelo's got some life in him still. Why do you think but, Carmelo only joined forces with LeBron now? Like, what do you think like the dynamic is? Because like he's had well, no one wanted Carmelo forever. Know, he was just trying to get back saying. in the league. I, know. <laughs> I mean. I mean, the league changing definitely helped him, right? Where it's just, if you can shoot, there's a place for you, as you know, Coach Ken Harris at one point said. Uh, it's definitely true of the NBA now. So it's just funny that they didn't, like, it wasn't like three years ago. It was like, hey, Melo, come join me. <laughs> you know? was, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like he was kind of ostracized yeah. for... Did he invite himself time, over? Did he, Carmelo's invite himself <laughs> over? Did LeBron even not even know about it? To like, <laughs> Polinka's like, guess what? We got Mel. Aren't you so excited we have Melo coming? He's like, what? What? I Wait, I thought everything runs through LeBron. Uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. fair. I guess I was thinking about like LeBron as GM. Definitely, like if Westbrook was his move, definitely uh, cuts against player GMs going forward. Yeah, it's yeah, like, right. <laughs> I think the Tristan Thompson contract started oh, that man. conversation. No, 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 no. But that was clutch. That was that was putting some money. That was that was playing. What was it you said earlier? Uh, chess instead of checkers right there because i don't know what his piece of rich paul's piece is but it's got to be pretty 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 high <laughs> okay guys sticking with the uh, older guys here which of these players ages before our eyes more quickly lebron chris paul or cody zeller <laughs> <laughs> and i have to clarify i know we're we're at the age where i know for me you know the receding hairline but so Cody Zeller has that, but he's only 28, so he's not as old maybe as he might initially appear. So I didn't realize that till after I wrote that, but I just had to keep Zeller in since he's our backup center. No, he's the key piece to keep Lillard in Portland. So I, mean, I hope he doesn't age fast. Um, I'll go with Dwight Howard. <laughs> that is an acceptable answer. I mean, in all in all seriousness, are I mean. How, What's your level of concern with regards to LeBron in, in year 19? I think he's the Tom Brady of uh, the NBA. I mean, I know he's had the injuries. Brady even had an injury, right, towards ACL that one year. So it just seems that there's there's a, a, a level, a degree of uh, body science here that LeBron has embraced that he's uh, – I was joking about what Bazemore said, but it seems like he knows how to – prolong his career i mean i guess you could argue he doesn't he should allow himself to rest more um so maybe he needs to figure out maybe a little bit of a better balance but um it's like when peyton manning was joking uh when he had his hall of fame induction ceremony he said i'm looking forward to tom brady's induction in the year 2036 um i just think uh i think there's a longevity thing that uh that lebron shares with uh with Brady, maybe he's on the same uh, the same plan. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think. I mean, LeBron does have to move a little bit more during a game than <laughs> catching a shot because pass and pivoting <laughs> twice and throwing. But I, I do. Yeah, I mean, he's so. Um, yeah, it's so amazing. I mean, think about both guys, Chris, Paul, and LeBron. How they like they have it locked in. It seems like, and I, I don't think. Um, I think he'll have to play more like Chris Paul to have 
full season of the injury where he is playing. I think he'll, I think his game will have to change. Maybe the same way Brady's has changed. You know, he's not necessarily the same quarterback throwing the same exact passes. Um, but I, I think he, I think if he can do that, and, and if he can play seventy games, that's a win, right? I know he has to take days off or didn't last year trying to win MVP, but I think if he does that, that's great. But you know, there there will be sort of some more. Um, serious injury. I just, I just feel like the problem is, is you're, they're counting on Westbrook to kind of like keep him healthy. Like he need, he doesn't have a Devin. He has he has Anthony Davis. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't have like another creator. Like Paul could just kind of throw the ball to Booker. Like Paul got really good. He hated playing hard. We talked about it, but he got really good in Oklahoma City, and then in Phoenix of playing next to a ball dominant player. And like LeBron doesn't have anyone like that. LeBron would love to have that. Um, I mean, Westbrook's supposed to be that, I think, but I just don't know if that's going to work. Yeah, I think there's uh, my concern is with LeBron. I I don't. I, it's not a huge concern. I think you everything you guys said, I echo. I do think. I think the interesting thing with Paul is, I think he's already hit that stage of 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 getting old before our eyes, and he just embraced a very specific type of of playing style. I mean, you saw it in the playoffs. Depending if he had a big guy to attack. And sort of eat on he he would basically do that little snake you know pick and roll snake move and pull up at 15 feet and he was just automatic from there and if he couldn't have there's no big guy for him to take advantage of you know his offensive game to a certain degree was 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 uh, quite a bit more neutered and so that to me is just a sign it's like it's emblematic of his of of his age i mean you know what do you expect from a player of his of his age in history i mean he's been around a long time yeah but you know, at a certain point, physically, he's not going to get, you know, he's only going to have the ability to pop in a game, you know, a few times uh, per night instead of, you know, the way he played maybe 10 years ago. So, um, you know, I, th- I think Paul's probably already there, but it'll be, I'm so fascinated to see because I think LeBron's ultimately going, the roster construction there just suggests that as much as it's saying, hey, maybe he can, he can throttle it back a little bit, he maybe needs to, I'm not totally sure he's going to be able to just because, Again, I'm skeptical of some of the, the 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 roster creation there. That's a great point about Paul, though, because he does play now like kind of the really good like forty something point guard in a pickup game. You know, like the guy that was, exactly. And like it's like if that person has a all they need is someone who can set a screen at the top of the key, and it doesn't even matter if that player is good or not. It's just like just kind of give me a pick and then just go. And it's just like the end of the pull up. It's so true. It's just like, but if like. You play a bunch of that person just dominates the cold to the court, and then they play a, a team with like four twenty or twenty somethings that are all athletic who just kind of like get up and switch and just play defense. It's like they get swamped eleven nothing. You're like, what happened? So I mean, that, that's what happened in the finals. He couldn't. You're right. He couldn't go back to like, you know, I guess Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Paul, or even L.A. Paul in terms of like kind of like getting in the lane and like attacking himself he, he needed to get into that one spot yeah and it, i don't know yeah lebron it's like he's he's worked on post up he's got stuff to do but it's just he definitely hasn't had to take that step yet where he has to do that sort of stuff to like be effective um he has definitely hasn't gotten to the point where like magic was when he came back for that short period of time where it's like oh you're a power forward now you know <laughs> 
Magic also is a skyhook. Magic was a little Get that ma- skyhook. Maybe skyhook. Magic was a little overweight there. I don't think the physio- physical, physiological, whatever we're talking about stuff was really in vogue in 1996 <laughs> or whatever it was. 93, whatever it was. It was it's a long time ago, but. <laughs> Okay, guys. So I don't think we're going to get to all the questions. So I'm going to I'm going to go with one of the ones that was <clears throat> that is a bit off the radar here. So it's going to involve LeBron too. Uh, I'm going to ask you which biography of these three players would you most want to read if you had to choose one? Mm. And this is like you know presidential biographies where they're not written till like you know uh, 15, 20 years after they're yeah. out of office. So when these guys retire. So again. 2040 when LeBron retires uh, 20 years after that but <laughs> LeBron <laughs> when their careers release, are all said and done they'll release his text messages everything will be out in his library yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so which of those biographies would you want to read LeBron James Kevin Durant or Stephen Curry wow Ooh, this is a good one <laughs> I, know, I now know why you skipped this question this is a great question D wow <laughs> this is so good it's good to have you back good to have you back <laughs> happy to be well. here <laughs> Wow. Oh man. I I think um I think ultimately my answer would be Steph Curry. I think only because there there seems to I mean for being such a killer on the court, right? He sure has kept a pretty you know clean image off of it, right? Very kind of wholesome and and you know, he really I mean the way he relates to the franchise and the fans and the family and the, all all the different components of his personality seemed to come through quite quite wholesome and meanwhile again i just that you know there's always some level of like son of a bitch in these guys that are just dominant like it just seems like they all have some layer of just dog in them that you know they're barking at i mean it's not they don't have to be like jordan and and absolutely eviscerate teammates but there's always some level of like just maniacal competition in them and i would be so fascinated to understand kind of the, 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 the driving force for a guy like Curry behind the scenes. Right. And even just hearing his unfiltered thoughts during that three year run with Durant and hearing him, how he really felt about when Kerr was like unequivocally, like, you know, singing Durant's praises and, 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 you know, Curry standing there as like a reigning MVP and like the best shooter of all time, kind of throwing up his hands. Like I would just be so fascinated to understand what that all looked like for him. Um, and even just reflecting on like the ascension he had, I mean, they, they were, they were you know, the, the most famous thing around for a long time. And th- he, he didn't really crack. Whereas a lot of these guys have their ups and their downs as a result of it. And so, you know, that would be fascinating. Ryan, where would you go? No, I love the question. I mean, I think it would depend. I think we'd want someone to write it. Um, like I, we want like the breaks of the game situation where like someone from outside of the league comes in and is like a very, like a great writer and reporter and like, doesn't care. <laughs> just wants to get, <laughs> doesn't have any like agents to kind of like protect and everything. Um, because I would love to, I would love like an unfiltered bio of LeBron by Adrian Rojanowski would be like amazing, but it would never happen because you know, 10 years ago, he was, like, trashing LeBron, like, in his, his little, like, columns he wrote when he was still breaking news for Yahoo Sports. And then, like, he doesn't do that stuff anymore. He kind of moved away from it, and he kind of got back in the LeBron's good graces and 
you know. So it's like he can't. No one can really. No one in that world can really like write the book that we want to have written. Um, but if you could find someone, I think for me it'd still be LeBron. I've. Um, to, but to Michael, it's a good point. I mean, if, if if Curry, if it was like unvarnished, like with Curry, I think that'd be really good. I just have been reading the Marcus Thompson bio of Steph Curry for like a year. Um, I think Marcus Thompson's a great writer, so I'm thinking I'm a big NBA fan, so I'm thinking it's because Steph's a little bo- is boring. <laughs> it's not that interesting. So, <laughs> he may just be what he is. I'm not trying to blame Steph, but I was like, I don't know. And Marcus Thompson also wrote a bio of Durant. Um, I think that's sort of like the early, you know, before they've even like, we're talking like 20 years on the road when we can kind of get their full perspective in it. Um, I feel like Durant would be the one who's like, would be the most like, I'll just tell it like it is. Like, I don't care, but it kind of would we kind of know that about him. So I feel like if someone could really dig in, if you could have like a Halberstam dig into LeBron and really like report it out and like, again, like not care and just trying to dig into all these things that were going on with him and understand the dynamics, I think it would be fascinating to also understand the dynamics more within him and his group of friends and like the business partners and how they've sort of mapped things out and done things. I just think it'd be impossible because it's going to be, well, not impossible because it, it'd be to not be hagiographical where it's just like, oh, it's so amazing what he's done. Um, I mean, you see it. So I, I just finished a book about Twitter, like the founding of Twitter, and that place was a mess. <laughs> so I think, you know, it can't be done. I mean, they were all kind of open to talking to the reporter. Mark Zuckerberg described the Twitter founders as a, uh, as a, as the, as the uh, uh, being in a clown car that fell into a gold mine. <laughs> <laughs> and you read the book and you're like, it's not wrong. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's not, I mean, he is wrong. Jack Dorsey, I mean, he's got two multi-billion dollar companies that he helped found. Um, although his transformation to being Steve Jobs is pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, so it's interesting. And then, and you see it with John, like, um, I think it's John Miller, who's done the oral histories. Um, you know, he did the ESPN book and SNL. He's done a bunch of other ones since then. So even someone like that, I think he does a good job sort of managing, earning the right to write stuff about these places and organizations. So I think so, him doing something in the NBA around maybe the Warriors or these teams, it's just they've all been written about so much, but I feel like no one's really like kind of goes in and digs into the story. Um, but I, I would choose LeBron. Nice. Those are uh... – <clears throat> compelling arguments for both of those. I think uh, there's a whole lot going in that l- world of LeBron that would make a fascinating biography. But I really, the Curry is the underdog. <clears throat> I mean, going to Davidson and not being recruited even by the school that his father went to, Virginia Tech. Uh, there's a lot going on there too. So I'll just be the one to make the argument for Durant uh, because he. I'd say he's the most mysterious one. So trying to uh, delve into his psyche, his personality, uh, I think we could make for a very interesting biography. There would probably have to be like a, a chapter titled uh, "The Loss of His Innocence," loss of innocence, because when you know Durant was this uh, happy-go-lucky kid, and uh, now we see him as this uh, cantankerous star. I think that might be the title of the book, Derek. It might, it might be the title. Yeah, good. Touche. That's the most fascinating part of his entire story to me is just how he's evolved. I mean, he was like, you know, 
a faith-oriented person engaged to like a, a WNBA player, and they had like you know met in their like college ministry or at UT, I think. I mean, there's like all these different pieces around the the puzzle, and then at some point, it's just like his. It, there's like this. He met Rich Kleiman, and everything else went downhill <laughs> after that. I mean, there's that's the part, part I want to know. Is like. Yeah, I mean, I want a chapter titled Svengali. That's what I want because it's like, how did Rich Kleiman? I mean, he was working for Rock Nation, working for Jay Z. Like, how did he become like his brother from another mother? I mean, to the point where they're producing a show. I think I forwarded it to you guys, starring O'Shea Jackson, Ice Cube Jr., um, and um, it's about basically Durant's story of like growing up playing basketball, high school basketball, AAU basketball. The creator of it, like the writer and director of it, the showrunner, Reggie Rock Bywood, man. The husband, the better his wife did Beyond the Lights. She did Love and Basketball. I mean, you could not I mean to have your this story is could not be written. I think they're both college athletes. I think Reggie and his wife like they, they met in college, like running track or something. I don't know. Like this is like the perfect person. If you couldn't get his wife, this is the best guy to do it, man. Because this is good. this is love and basketball. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be a great show. I'm excited for it. They got the guy. Um, he wrote the book. He's a, he's it was an SI guy, George Dorman. He wrote a book about AU basketball. Like he's the, he's a consultant on it. I mean, it's gonna be great. It's on Disney Plus. After my free year, I dropped it. I might have to get it back. Ted Lasso <laughs> season two hasn't dragged me back in yet. I'm hearing negative. I'm hearing mixed reactions. I kind of want to leave lasso season one just alone on its own leave on the high note nothing else this, I'm, I'm worried is this going to be godfather part two or part three it's kind of trending <laughs> towards part three from what i'm seeing i saw the first episode that kept tying games that was funny the last episode of the first season but first season was perfect television so but this might be me back in so Chris Kleiman, man how'd you do it buddy i want to i want to book on Chris Kleiman. i just want to know how he did there this. we go it's like it's just like his right hand guy. It's not even his right hand guy. It's like, I mean, at least with LeBron, it's like his, it's like really talented guys who were his buddies at some point, or like he connected with him when he was very young. Like it wasn't like to Michael's point. I don't think Rich Kleiman got with Durant to like, you know, five ten years ago. It wasn't like it was like he came out that way. So I, I, I do feel like that transition in his life is is interesting, and I think so you're making a good argument. I'm, I'm kind of leaning. I mean, read the Marcus Thompson book before you guys vote for curry okay let's let's make that the, the the table stakes to have curry be the choice but durant the table stakes is if you well, can finish it yeah and they read the durant book to see if it's durant i am wondering though you made a good point there ryan uh maybe i should have prefaced it in saying well the, the late great david halberstam uh let's let's say just use our imaginations and say that all three biographies are written by him yes so we know exactly oh, what, we're, all what three. we're gonna get done yeah get it would going. that change your answer Although his 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 Belichick book, I mean, it was like kind of a shorter book. It was toward the end of his career, I think, end of his life actually. Definitely was not breaks the game level. No. And the Jordan book was like, it had it was it was overlapping. The breaks of the game was like him at peak of his powers. Like it's like, yeah. oh, I just the best and the brightest. I just wrote the best and the brightest. I want a Pulitzer. What am I going to go do next? <laughs> I'll, write, I'll write the NBA. It's like what? I don't know. I mean. I mean, who who could write that book now, though? I mean, you'd sort of think Michael Lewis, but that's not really his thing. His thing is mm, to like right. dig in and kind of like kind of dig into a story, like get all the dirt, 
I mean, we're looking for dirt here. Maybe not that dirt, but like the real story, like what happened, what's going through these guys' heads in these situations yeah. that they went through. I mean, you know, I mean, Durant's going to do what he, Durant's going to do is he's going to do the best um, athlete NBA memoir of like his era, hundred percent. The big mm. Andre Agassi like open. It'll be like, you know. It'll be co-author with Rich Kleinman for some reason, but it'll probably be like and Letterman writes the forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he'll write like Norm's Norm's memoir. It'll be what's true, what's not. No one really knows. Yeah, so. yeah it'll be very <laughs> mysterious. Yeah, that's great. Well, we didn't get to to all of them, guys. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll we'll tease the audience a little bit. Maybe we'll uh, we'll touch on this. We we have our big preview, which is one of our our signature things, of course. Is a, is a predictions league. Uh, obviously, we are getting close to that. So whether it'll be next week or the week after, again, this is where we, we do things like predict the Wizards will get in as the eighth seed, and then I'll predict the Hawks will be a little better. You know, these these great moments of our podcast. Uh, all in on the Wizards. We're all looking forward to that. But our uh, apologies to... Uh, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, LeBron James. We didn't have any time to talk to them personally about their biographies oh, that man. are coming out. <laughs> and, and there's no trivia until the season starts. I'm sorry if you were looking forward to that. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3ND Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.